It's like the most epic music ever to walk up here. Uh, Well, good morning. We are uh, continuing our series from Hebrews this morning called Jesus is Greater. Uh, If you've been following along, you know that we're supposed to be in Hebrews chapter 4 today. Uh, And Steve was working on that message when he had a family thing come up in Michigan this week. So he asked me to jump to Hebrews 5. And then when he comes back uh, next Sunday, we'll go back and pick up Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, Also, while I'm thinking about it, so I don't forget later, there was a baby shower scheduled for the Higgs family this afternoon. Uh, Well, obviously, if they're in Michigan, it's going to be difficult to do a baby shower for them. And so that has been moved to next Sunday. So next Sunday at 1.30 in the afternoon, uh, there's a baby shower for uh, for the Higgs family, for Lila, their their new daughter, and uh, everyone's invited, uh, men, women, everybody. Um, And so next Sunday, 1.30, the baby shower for the Higgs family. But for now, why don't we start with prayer before we dive into Hebrews. Hebrews. Father, you are greater, and we know this, we've experienced this, uh, but Father, it's important that we study it. It's important uh, that, we, that we live, that, that we exude uh, your greatness. It's important that uh, we understand to our very core, to our very bones, that you are greater and you deserve honor. Um, and so, Father, I pray this morning that your word would speak to us. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. So I went to high school uh, at an all-guys Catholic school, uh, even though I was raised in a Christian church a lot like this one. Uh, The the academic and and athletic opportunities at that particular private school seemed better to me than what was available to me at the public school, and so I decided to go. Uh, I decided to go for all four years. I went to uh, De La Salle Collegiate was the name of it. Uh, And as you can imagine, being just one of of just five or six Protestant students in the entire student body uh, made my life somewhat interesting uh, over the course of four years. Uh, My religion teachers, I had religion was a mandatory class every year. My religion teachers kind of went back and forth between being impressed by how well I knew the Bible and trying to convert me to become a Catholic. Um, that they kind of made it their personal mission that they wanted, wanted me to become. And then when they found out, when they found out that I was actually baptized as an infant in the Catholic church, um, they about lost their minds. That like, oh, we actually have a chance with this guy, they thought. Uh, and, and so uh, that was an interesting experience. One of the things that was different about my school uh, growing up in high school was the dress code. Um, and actually, just, just recently, locally, the uh, Decatur High Schools have adopted a dress code, but uh, it wasn't typical back in the day for public schools to have a dress code. My school did, uh, and the dress code was uh, dress pants and a collared shirt uh, tucked in. So I'd be breaking dress code right now, but uh, dre- uh, dress pants, collared shirt tucked in, uh, dress shoes, and, uh, and your hair, including facial hair, was not allowed to extend below the ear. Now, if you've known me for very long, you know that that was a problem for me. I started shaving in the sixth grade, and facial hair has been a part of my identity ever since. And so going to a high school that denied me the freedom of expression to grow big old chops or a beard or a goatee or whatever it was that I wanted to do that week uh, was somewhat difficult on me. So I decided, I decided I'm going to put these rules to the test. How important can this really be, right? Facial hair, that can't be a big deal. And so uh, I, I rocked some pretty serious sideburns back in the day, even before I put the rules to the test. You can, you can get a fair amount of facial hair if you know what you're doing 
above the ear. And so uh, I was rocking some pretty serious sideburns already, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to let these things creep lower. I'm going to let these things come down, and so I did, uh, and that lasted like a week and a half before the vice principal caught me. Uh, and he pulled me into his office, and he was very nice about the whole thing, but firm, uh, reiterated the rule, and said, uh, you have till tomorrow to make this right. Well, I didn't make it right. Uh, I came in the next day, thought, this can't be that big a deal, um, and, uh, and I was wrong. I was a freshman, had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, my punishment, I got pulled into the vice principal's office. My punishment <laughs> was a dry shave, wouldn't even let me use water, with a razor that he pulled out of a drawer in his desk. Who knows how many other people have used this razor before. Uh, and then I got a detention that lasted for three hours. I washed every desk in the building for letting my sideburns creep below my ears. They were serious, man. Sideburns, uh, you know, unruly sideburns are a really big deal, apparently, in my Catholic school. Another unusual thing, another weird thing about my high school experience was every month we had mass. We had a worship service right in our school every month, and uh, once, once a month, and, and actually on special occasions, sometimes more than once a month, we would have a Catholic worship service with mandatory attendance from the whole student body. And on days when we had a mass, uh, a priest from the, the neighborhood parish would come over and he would conduct the service. Um, and as a Protestant, as a non-Catholic, I never under, understood the need for a priest. I didn't get it. My church didn't have a priest. We taught that there's no need uh, anymore for a priest, uh, that, that Jesus' death on the cross made it so we don't need anyone to stand between us and God. Uh, and after almost four years of high school, I finally one day asked our priest what his role was since Jesus made him unnecessary. <laughs> See, I had just as much tact back then as I do today. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, my job is simple. I help people connect with God. Now, see, I wasn't expected for that answer. I was, I was, I was ready to argue with this priest and, and tell him, you know, that, you know, go to the Bible and about how we don't need him anymore. And I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for him to say what he said because that's actually not that bad. That's not, that's true. My job is to help people connect with God. And see, the role of priest didn't start with the Catholic Church. The role of priest goes back way, way further than the Catholic Church, goes all the way back to the law of Moses. And from the very beginning, that is what priests did. They helped people connect with God. And, it's, and so today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5. And, and in Hebrews chapter 5, the author uses the role of the high priest, looks back into the Old Testament to look at what, what it is that priests did. Why did we need them? What was their role in order to teach us something about Jesus? And uh, Steve told me that slides, sermon slides don't work in here, um, and so I didn't prepare any, but what I didn't think was Steve is like a gigantor, and I'm short enough that you probably could have seen him. But anyway, there's no sermon slides today. Uh, so if you're following along, we're in Hebrews chapter five. Um, you'll actually have to use a device or a, or a Bible, maybe like throwback to the old days, of a print Bible uh, in Hebrews chapter five. We're gonna look, at, start at the very beginning of the chapter in verse one. The author of Hebrews says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. 
So the writer of Hebrews makes four things very clear. This would have been a great day for slides. Four points, four things very clear about high priests. The first one, right off the bat, is that the high priest comes from among the people. He doesn't, they don't bring him in from outside. He's not some outside contractor. He comes from among the people. He can identify with the people because he's one of them. But he's also chosen for a specific task, and he's the only one. There's not a whole group of high priests. There's one. One high priest from among the people chosen for a certain task. There can only be one at a time. And so the high priest has an identity as one of the people, but he's also set apart from the people by his unique role as high priest. That's the first thing. So what is his role? Uh, Well, Hebrews says he represents the people in matters related to God and offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's what he does. That's, That's the role of the high priest. It's the second thing we learn. And when we hear about someone, when we hear about this idea that someone's selected to represent the people, we think about our own government. We think about senators and representatives and presidents, people who are elected by the people and for the people in this democracy. Uh, and in our country, it's, it's their job to make decisions that will benefit the people, right? In particular, the people that they represent, the people from their district, the people from their home state, the people uh, who elected them. But the high priest wasn't picked by the people. The high priest was picked by God. And he doesn't represent people by taking their complaints to God to help them get what they want. When we we think of this representation, we think of someone who will go and represent our interests to government, but actually the high priest did this in reverse. The high priest stood in the place of the people before God and represented God to the people. Uh, he, He would take God's will to the people. This was in reverse to what we're used to. Uh, He represents them by standing in their place before God uh, in order to express their gratitude to God uh, and in order to offer sacrifices for their sins. Uh, He he stands in their place so that the entire nation of however many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people uh, have one person that goes to God uh, to represent them, and that is the high priest. The Old Testament law called for animal sacrifices in order for sin to be forgiven. Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So in the Old Testament, God lays this idea out that life exists within the blood. And in order for a life to be redeemed, blood has to be spilled. The Old Testament priesthood in its its totality teaches that there can't be any salvation from sin without the shedding of blood. Those things go hand in hand. And so when it talks about the high priest standing in the place of the people to offer sacrifices for their sins, it is literally talking about sacrificing an animal. It's talking about a blood sacrifice that must be paid uh, in order for sins to be forgiven. And the high priest offers those sacrifices. Now, There are a whole bunch of priests, not just the high priest. And there was a sacrifice every morning and every evening. So there was a a daily sacrifice that that really any of the priests was qualified to offer. That wasn't the, the, the role of the high priest. But the high priest had some very specific functions. Um, when it it comes to sacrifices. And that's the third thing that we learn uh, about the high priest, that he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. So we find out that the high priest is just just like he's taken from among the people, he sins just like everyone else. 
The high priest isn't perfect. The high priest makes mistakes as well. The high priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sins before he can represent the people to God. And that sacrifice, again, uh, would have involved blood that he has to offer. Uh, he, doesn't make, he doesn't make excuses for sin. Uh, you know, he understands. says even though he's a sinner, he uses that weakness to be patient and understanding with other people. He doesn't make excuses for the people's sins, but he's also not harsh or angry because he is just like them. He struggles as well, and so he's in no position to, to, to stand in judgment over the whole nation of Israel because he's a sinner too. And so the high priest can deal gently with sin. And then finally, we learn in verse four that a high priest can only be appointed by God through the line of Aaron, Moses' brother. Uh, He can't be elected to office. He can't take the position on his own. The high priest is chosen by God. So the author of Hebrews lays out uh, these these four things about the the high priest. This is who he is, this is what he does, uh, and this is why. And so he makes makes this case. And I think in order to understand the connection that he's trying to make, we have to look, take a deeper look uh, into the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, priests led people in worship, in various offerings. They would make the sacrifices in the morning and in the evening to cover people's sins. But the high priest had certain responsibilities that only he could do. He, like overseeing all the other priests and overseeing the worship activities and making sure everything went according to, to plan, according to the way God laid it out. Um, He had a specific role of discerning God's will for the people. When the people wanted to know what is it that God wants us to do, the high priest is the one that they would ask, uh, and the high priest would discern God's will for the entire nation. Uh, But his main job, the main job of the high priest happened once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, Only the high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, uh, the, the, the most holy place behind the thick curtain where God's presence rested on the Ark of the Covenant and he could only enter that, that place once a year on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, only the high priest could enter into the place where God's presence lived. And the Hebrew word for atonement means to ransom or remove by paying a price. Atonement means that a price is paid, and the Old Testament is clear that the price that's owed is paid in blood. And so once a year, this high priest uh, would pay this price, not with his own blood, but he would pay it by making sacrifices for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Every year, on the 10th day that the new year began, uh, the the Jewish new year began in the seventh month, don't ask me to explain that, but uh, the 10th day of the seventh month, 10 days after their new year began, the high priest would atone for the sins of the entire community. I kind of like that, that we started, it, they, the, the, the people of Israel would start every new year with this new beginning, where they would atone for all their sins, they would get this fresh start uh, as the year started. I, I, I like I like that, that is pleasing to me. Um, and, and so he would, uh, he would do this every year, once a year, uh, and he would start by, by bathing. There was an awful lot of bathing and washing. He would start by bathing, and he would, he would put on the simple clothing of a regular priest instead of the usual fancy clothing that the high priest would wear that would designate him to everyone as a high priest. He would put on a simple uh, priestly clothing, uh, showed that he was simply one of the people. Uh, there was nothing particularly special about him other than that he was chosen for this role. Uh, So he put on this regular clothing and and then he went to the altar to sacrifice a bull for his own sins and for the sins of his family uh, to to purify himself before God before he would represent the people. 
And when he did that, he would take some live coals from the altar, not in his bare hands because he wasn't a superhero, but in a censer, he would take some live coals from the altar and he would take some incense and then he would, he would take the blood of the bull that he had just offered. He would collect it in a bowl uh, and he would enter behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle that blood on and around the Ark of the Covenant after he burned the incense. It would create this enormous cloud of incense in the Holy of Holies uh, and he would sprinkle the blood around to offer the blood as payment for his sin and for the sins uh, of his family. And this was serious business. If the high priest forgot a step or cut any corners following God's instructions, when he went behind the curtain, he would die like that, instantly, instant death. Uh, He would die. Jewish, Jewish tradition holds, the Bible doesn't say this, but Jewish tradition holds that the high priest would wear a thick rope tied to one of his legs, tied to his thigh with a bell on it, uh, and, th- and that the people would, as long as the people heard the bell ringing, they're like, okay, we're okay so far. Not dead yet. But if the bell stopped ringing for an extended period of time, because no one else was allowed to enter, they would die too. They would have to have some way to pull the high priest's body out. This is serious, that he followed God's instructions exactly, exactly to the T. And if he didn't die, if the bell continued ringing, he would burn the incense and he would sprinkle the blood on and around the ark. And then he would come back out from behind the curtain. Uh, because he doesn't offer just a sacrifice for his own sin. Uh, the high priest is there to offer sacrifice for the entire country, for all of the people. So he'd come back and he would cast lots over the two goats that the people had brought. See, he provided the bull, the high priest, out of his own money. He purchased it. It was for his own sins. The people brought the two goats. And these two goats would be there for him. He would cast lots to determine which of the goats would be a sacrifice. Um, So the unfortunate goat that won that contest uh, would be sacrificed in the same way as the bull. Uh, and, and he would repeat the process. He would take the blood behind the curtain and offer the blood as, to, as atonement, as payment for the sins of all of the people. And then the most interesting thing to me is the other goat. The other goat got to live. The high priest would come back out and uh, he, in front of all the people of Israel, all of this, everything else done in private, but back in, in front of all the people of Israel so everyone could see, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of this goat. The Bible calls this goat the scapegoat. He would lay his hands on the head of this goat and he would confess all of the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins, which had to have been just a a wonderful ceremony to attend, right? That the high priest is there confessing all of everyone's sins before God for all to hear. I mean, there's a moment, a very, uh, a a, a real honest moment that the high priest and the people were having together here, confessing their sins uh, over the head of this goat. And the goat then was led out of the camp out in front of all the people, this, you you know, very slowly led out of the camp, out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And that's a beautiful picture. The two goats together make up one sin offering. One died because there has to be blood in order for there to be forgiveness. The other lived but carried the people's sins far away into the wilderness. And the thing is, nobody could share these tasks with the high priest. Didn't matter if if he was sick, if he was under the weather. He's the only one allowed to do this until he dies and a new high priest is chosen. He's the only one that can do this. Not only that, none of the other priests were even allowed in the tabernacle while he was doing this. Not only could, you know, he was the only one that could go in the Holy Holy of Holies, but the other priests couldn't even go into the main part where they normally uh, did their worship functions during this time. this This was a very select responsibility that the high priest had, and he did it every year. 
Every year, he would do this. And that all probably sounds like an elaborate, uh, maybe even a ridiculous way to deal with sin to our ears. Um, And I think that's because we don't take sin seriously enough. Because the Bible's clear that there's a price. The Bible's clear there's a price that has to be paid to make up for sin and rebellion against God. And the whole structure of Old Testament worship revolved around the sacrifices that had to be offered in order to pay for the sins of the people. When the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, that's not an exaggeration. That's not flowery language. Sin brings death. That is, that is a truth Uh, as old as sin itself, as old as the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, that sin brings death. Maybe not instant death, but death all the same. Sin brings death. And in his mercy, God allowed animals to substitute for the people of Israel in the Old Testament so they could live. So that the second a person sinned, they weren't struck down immediately. God allowed a substitute. And fortunately, Hebrews 5 isn't done yet. Because I don't know about you, but I'm glad to not live under this particular system of worship. Fortunately, uh, Hebrews 5 isn't done yet. I only get a little squeamish around blood. Because Hebrews 5 teaches that Jesus is greater than the high priest. And that he changed everything for the better. So look back with me at Hebrews chapter 5 at the rest of this passage, verses 5 through 10. In the same way, just like the high priest that he just talked about, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so what's interesting to me here is that the four things that the author of Hebrews points out about high priests are true about Jesus too. The writer mentions them in reverse, almost like looking in a mirror. That looking, you know, Jesus looking in a mirror with the high priest, and we go from back, from back to forward. We start with the last one and work our way back up. That the high priest was appointed by God. Just as the high priest was appointed by God, Jesus was too. Jesus was appointed by God. He didn't take the glory for himself. But Jesus is greater than the high priest because he's in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 110, verse 4. And it refers to the first high priest in history, guy shrouded in mystery. We don't know a ton about this guy. Um, And and the thing is, Steve, Hebrews chapter seven gets into this in a lot more detail. Um, And so Steve's gonna cover that a lot more in a couple weeks. I'm gonna let him handle that. Um, but, But what... All you, need to, all you need to know about this, basically, is that to be in the order of Melchizedek means that Jesus was not a descendant of Aaron, uh, because Melchizedek somehow was a high priest before God ever established the law that there should be a high priest. And so he, uh, Jesus was not a descendant of Aaron, because neither was Melchizedek. Uh, and, and because of that, Jesus would not have been chosen. Based on Old Testament law, Jesus would not have been chosen to be a high priest, And yet, the the author of Hebrews is establishing a case that he is anyway. 
Um, Even though he wouldn't have been chosen under the law, he is anyway because he has a more important succession than being a son of Aaron. He is, as the author of Hebrews has established in the first four verses, the son of God. And so the son of God has authority because God has given it to him to take up the mantle of the high priest. And now Steve can handle Melchizedek in a couple weeks. So like the high priest, keep, you know, as we keep moving through this, Jesus has compassion for people. We find out that the high priest can deal gently with people's sins because he's a sinner too. And Jesus can do that. Jesus has compassion for people because he's like the high priest. But unlike the high priest, it's not because he's a sinner just like them. Jesus doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he can make a sacrifice for the rest of us. Jesus can deal gently with our sins because he went through the same suffering and temptation that we all face, but he stayed committed to God's will. Verse seven here, talking about how how hard Jesus prayed and offered up his fervent cries to God, it reminds me of the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't it? Where Jesus is is, uh, striving to, to accept God's will to accept God's mission, striving so hard that his sweat fell thick like blood, right? And, and it reminds me of, of this idea of how, how agonizing it is to line up my will with God's will. And, uh, and even though Jesus had special status as God's son, it didn't mean that his life was easy. It didn't mean that, uh, that, that he, he just had, you know, had, it, had it easy at all. It says that he had to learn obedience through suffering. He's not some spoiled trust fund kid who gets everything handed to him because of who his dad is. Uh, The son of God walked a path of suffering to obey his father. When it says that he learned obedience and that he was made perfect, it's not suggesting that Jesus was disobedient or imperfect before that. That, that, you know, we we read that and think, wait a minute, why do you have to learn obedience? Was he disobedient before? That's not what he's saying. It's, It's saying that Jesus said yes to God's will in the most extreme situation, in a situation he'd never faced before, as you think about the garden, as you think about going to the cross, Jesus said yes to God's will in an extreme situation, and Jesus was made perfect by completing the mission that God had given him. Jesus was made perfect, not perfect like he wasn't perfect before, perfect like complete. It was was complete, it is finished. And, And so Jesus learned obedience through suffering. He was made perfect through completing the mission that he, he, he went through the valley of the shadow of death uh, on his way uh, to glory. A few verses earlier, this, Hebrews spells this out in the chapter before this, in Hebrews 4.15, where it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus doesn't have to sin to understand the desire to sin. He's human. He doesn't have to sin to understand the desire to sin. He doesn't have to sin to understand the strong pull towards selfishness and sin. He doesn't have to sin to understand the results of sin, the devastation that it brings, the the way that it destroys people's lives. He walked the same earth you walk. He saw the things you see. He looked around him at the world he lived in and said, is this really what the world has come to. He understands the effects of sin. He understands the death that it brings, not because he sinned, because he didn't, but because he lived in a sinful world among a sinful people uh, and understands what sin is like. He's not just another high priest because he's perfect in his obedience. 
Even though he's familiar with temptation and suffering like a high priest, he didn't give in to it. So like the high priest, Jesus offers a sacrifice to cover people's sins. But Jesus is greater than the high priest because he became the source of eternal salvation. Hebrews tells us, not by offering animal sacrifices or by sending a goat out into the wilderness to atone for our sins, but by becoming our scapegoat himself, taking our sin uh, and offering himself as the payment, offering his blood as the payment that was required. It's the blood of Jesus shed in his suffering death that opens the door to our salvation, salvation that's available to all who obey, Hebrews says. Like the high priest, Jesus dealt with the sins of the people. That was the high priest's role, to deal with sin. Jesus did as well. But Jesus is greater than the high priest because he offered himself once and for all as one final sacrifice to cover an eternity of sins. And just like the high priest, Jesus comes from the people. He's human in every way. But unlike the high priest, Jesus also comes from heaven. He's God in every way. And if you think, that's not possible. Yeah, you're not alone. I don't know how that's possible either. He's human in every way, and he's God in every way. He's one, it's, it's not some blend, right? Like that sometimes this is his human side coming out, and then sometimes when we see him doing miracles, like, oh, that's his God side coming out. He is, it's both. He, at the same time, this blows my mind, at the same time, he is all person, all human, and all God. And that is the truth of scripture. That, I can't explain it any better than that um, because it's a mystery. It's a mystery to me how it can be possible, but the truth of scripture is that this is, this is, what's, this is what happened. That Jesus is human in every way and God in every way. Like the high priest on the day of atonement, God took off his fancy clothes and he put on the skin and bones of a regular person. And he can identify with us in our suffering because he felt pain and betrayal. He experienced injustice and ridicule. He knows the gut-wrenching temptation to turn on God and do things my way instead. Jesus is greater than the high priest because he's the son of God. And he can identify with us in our suffering and temptation without joining us in our sin. That's incredible. That's incredible that we have a God who understands exactly what it's like to be tempted. He understands what it feels like to want to sin. He understands what happens when we do sin and how it devastates our lives. And yet, he has not joined us in our sin. He remained perfect. He remained spotless and clean and blameless. He's one of us, but he's also different than us. And he can offer a sacrifice that no high priest in the history of the world has ever been qualified to make himself. He needs no substitute. He needs no scapegoat. He needs no animal because he can offer himself. No one else has ever been able to do this before God. No one else has ever been able to walk into the Holy of Holies, to walk into God's presence behind the curtain without washing or preparing and not be struck dead, but one. Only Jesus. And because of that, he is uniquely qualified not to offer a sacrifice, 
but to offer himself as our sacrifice. Hebrews 7.26 puts this beautifully. It says, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. My time in Catholic school helped me realize something. We do need a priest. The Protestant church is gonna kick me out, man. We do need a priest. We need something, we need someone to help us connect with God. Because sin drives us apart. Sin separates us and we can't get back to God on our own. We need someone to help us connect to God. But what we don't need is a high priest to offer sacrifices for our sins anymore. Because we have one who's greater. We have one who paid the price once and for all. Jesus is everything we need to connect with God and live with him forever. When I say we need a priest, what I mean is we need Jesus. Jesus is everything we need to reestablish a connection with God, to live with God forever. Jesus is the one who connects us to God again by virtue of the blood, his perfect blood that he offered to pay the price, to make the atonement, to pay the ransom, to reclaim a people that, has, that had rebelled against him and gone astray. Jesus said, enough of that. I offer this, my blood my perfect blood to pay the price, to pay the blood price that is required to, to, to usurp the death that always comes as a result of sin. And so the band is gonna come back and they're gonna lead us in a song. And I wanna encourage you to think about the seriousness of sin. Because the reason this whole priest thing works is, is when we take sin seriously. You have to take sin seriously to understand how desperately you need God, how desperately you need this sacrifice, how desperately you need the blood of Jesus. You have to take sin seriously. So I want you to think about the seriousness of your own sin. I want you to think about what would have to have been done for your sin if it wasn't for Jesus. I want you to think about the Old Testament. I want you to think about the price that had to be paid not just once a year on the Day of Atonement, but daily. The price that had to be paid, the blood that had to be spilled in order to pay for your sin and for mine, I want you to think about how serious that is. How many animals had to die because of our rebellion, because of our sinfulness, because of our obstinate, stubborn stand against God. I want you to think about how serious sin is. And then I want you to think about the magnitude of what Jesus did when he paid the price. When he offered himself once and for all, when, when he abolished the sacrifices that had to happen day after day after day and year after year after year with one act, the magnitude of what that means for you and for me, not just today, but forever. 
that Jesus is our sacrifice, that Jesus offered the blood that atones for our sins, the only blood that could, that Jesus is our scapegoat, that he carries our wickedness and rebellion into the wilderness, never to be seen again as far as the east is from the west, that Jesus is our high priest, connecting us back to a God who loves us desperately. Sin is serious. But we have a Savior who is just as serious. If you'd like to pray with someone this morning, there's gonna be some people here up front. If you'd like to pray about, about connecting to God, not because we are, are in some kind of like mediator that, are, are, that can connect you to God, but because Jesus can. We'd love to pray with you this morning. You can come right up front here as we stand. We're gonna stand together and sing this song to respond to God and give him glory. Uh, and if you'd like to pray with someone this morning, come on up.